Hello and welcome to the Sala podcast. My name is Steph and I am here at Post Office Projects in Port Adelaide in Henry Wolfe's studio and we're going to talk about their practice today. Um, I think we both want to acknowledge whose land we're on here as well, which is the land of the Ghana people. And as we talk about the meaning of care in Henry's work, I want to hold in my thoughts what care means and looks like in the relationship between traditional owners and country and also what it means to elders past, present and emerging. should acknowledge that we're already already know each other <laughs> already for <pals>. a while <laughs> so we have to be a bit serious yeah. although maybe not too serious <laughs> I love that. all right so let's talk about your practice um should we start with maybe the the media that you use yeah yeah um because I guess like um it's been kind of uh, an organic process as to how I've ended up where I'm at. Um, my background is actually in fashion design, um, where kind of my favorite part of the design process used to be like the photo shoots because mm. they represented like the realization of all the hard work that you do for a collection in design and kind of they represented this, this realization of all that hard work. And it's when that kind of storytelling and the ideas that you have around how we understand fashion comes to life and materializes. Um, and I think like, um, like I was very fortunate that in like the first time I ever was on a photo shoot was actually on set in Sydney with a, um, he was at the time Australian fashion photographer of the year, George Anthony. Yeah. So I was thrust into this kind of world certainly not push like, like, like I was happy to be thrown into that world <laughs> a but, joyful throw <laughs> exactly but like I was like I first started in a professional kind of design capacity at the age of like 20 yeah. and first shoot was over with these kind of heavy hitting kind of super weights in the industry and that kind of like organically as the years went by it kind of through the continued exposure to images and image making and the process of image editing and selection it kind of it meant that I slowly started wanting to make my own images um they weren't great to begin with <laughs> um some of them were pretty cringy but like um because I didn't I, I haven't I didn't start with kind of like training as such I I started with like uh, learning from essentially the people that I was exposed to and asking questions of the photographers that were around me and kind of learning by doing, um, which is a big thing with a lot of the stuff that I do in my life, that um, experiencing stuff gives me so much of an understanding of what I do. Mm. Um, but um, there's always been this fascination when it comes to me uh, with uh, imaging people on how you can capture the interior landscapes of people through images because I think particularly... Uh, fashion doesn't step into that zone that that was something that I found difficult with that industry is that 
you don't have as broad a scope to explore those kind of interior kind of narratives of people. Mm. It, it, it does unfortunately lean towards a more aestheticizing of things, um, which is something that kind of prompted me to move away from that industry and into a more kind of art-based practice and such. Um, but from that kind of starting point, I stuck at like taking photos and stuff for a long time and have actually been capturing images and working with images now for over seven years, yeah, which wow. is a long time in the scheme of things. It's a long time to be, you know, really getting comfortable with that language as well. Absolutely. And it, like, I think it was probably, it wasn't until like four years in that I actually went and undertook proper training. Yeah. Um, where I like learned like film photography and stuff like that so that it kind of gave a backbone to the stuff the the understanding of images putting a technical understanding with that um but uh the photography that I was doing kind of just started to organically and naturally grow into moving image as well which has become like a prominent part of my practice because I saw it uh, moving image as the capacity to explore photographic moments in context mm. in the sense that photography has a capacity to kind of take moments out of their context and moving image recognizes all that's existing in a moment if that makes it sense it almost expands the the border of that moment a bit and you exactly. can step into it rather than take it out absolutely context. Uh, yeah. and i think that like um i think that's important for my practice is having that ability to both explore the context but also take these split moments from it so that's where I find that kind of balance between photography and moving image in my work. But from there, performance grew to be a, um, an integral element in how I actually define what's happening for these images, in these images. Um, and my knowledge and use of performance allows me to navigate that intersection between authentic intuitive acts and constructed worlds. Yeah. We got deep there. We did, we, <laughs> we did, got we did. Really deep. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's my practice as such across photography, moving image and performance. Yeah, I was wondering how it all fit together because two of those are using that, you know, pre-made. <laughs> no one can see what my hands are doing, but <laughs> making a frame, using that frame and looking through where his performance is. Yeah, a different beast. So nice to see how that all into plays mm. yeah and what kind of themes are you most driven to explore in your work Mm. Um, I think for me the most important part of my practice is its consideration of empathy, particularly in context to image making. Uh, capturing a person's image can be quite an objective practice, mm. particularly when we look at the field of documentary image making. Um, so to navigate this, I employ socially responsive models of um, modes of research and development to ensure that empathy is really built into all the layers of how a project progresses and how that project is actually realized. Mm. I also have a very strong fascination for how people build relationships and connect with one another, which 
relates strongly back to that emphasis on empathy. Um, connection in particular shows up a lot in my work and generally it is positioned as an intuitive knowledge that is kind of um, articulated through gestural language and pronounced then through the editing techniques that I use either in how I kind of uh, bring images together if they're photographic in a series or by the actual literal juxtaposition of images within a moving image piece. For me, connection is a gateway to understanding ourselves in the face of the other and is essential in the construction of identity. Um, Mm, There was a really nice quote, and excuse my shuffling of papers here, that perhaps speaks to that from Kate O'Boyle talking about presence at Praxis Art Space. Um, I'll just read a few lines. The way we choose to share and claim space in relation to those closest to us becomes a way of knowing ourselves. That is that what you're speaking to? Absolutely. And it's one of those beautiful things with Kate, like because now she's written on two of my works. Oh, um, that it feels like it's really nice whenever I get to see her and talk about works because she like it's like she's lived inside my head at some point and like it just intuitively makes sense whatever the craziness I'm actually bringing but um it's funny that you should pick out that piece as well because that was the exact same section that Jill Brown when she did the opening for that show pulled out because it was opened kind of well we still are living in the kind of post-COVID lockdowns or still living in that kind of reality um, that kind of asking that question of how do we take space with other people is so relevant at the at this point. And I think that um, even though my practice isn't intentionally riffing off those kind of ideas because it's something that's present, that idea of connection and support and those kind of things are just something that I find and feel is important and integral anyway, that um, it just is highlighted by the current kind of social political climate that we're in at the moment because of COVID. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, like, um, I think as a result of that kind of examination that I have of connection, uh, it really kind of gives me this, um, ability using that empathetic lens to find within my work notes around things like visibility, trust, vulnerability, and I guess support. So it really does tie back to that idea of how how we take space with one another, how we consider that space, and how how that impacts us and the others that we share that with. got an exciting project in Sala Festival 2021. Can you just tell me everything about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, I didn't guide no, you much no. there. <laughs> um, so I'm sharing a new moving image work called Care. It's a work that has been commissioned by Fine Print Magazine for Pause Play and will be available to view on their website across August. And um, I would also like to start by acknowledging that um, the project was and has been supported by um, the South Australian government through Arts South Australia. 
the project uh, actually started with a conversation with my mum. Uh, as a lifelong nurse, uh, we've been recently talking about what actually happens when you transition from being the person who distributes care to being the person who needs that care. Oh, wow. Um, and where does the responsibility to care actually flow as a result of those kind of transitions in life? Um, this prompted me to look at what defines my own values of care and how these are inherited through her lived experience. Mm. Um, yeah, and um, it started looking at care from a much more institutional point of view um, in the sense of that I was exploring how nurses and like medical equipment could be used as like um, metaphors or symbols for an outsourcing of our responsibility to others. Um, however, this kind of approach focused too much on an absence of care mm. rather than um, where I think that, and, and still feel that the work needed to be. So it, it asked for a kind of shift into a different kind of, a different perspective on what care actually is and how I articulate that in a work. Um, so to reposition that discussion on care, I reached out to my community and brought together a group of diverse people to delve into what actually care actually means. Um, and this manifested in a numerous kind of different ways through like informal conversations when people would like come to the studio and stuff like that because I'd have like stuff like I do right now I'd have images and kind of stuff up on the walls and we'd have these kind of conversations around what each and person's kind of ideas were but um it was primarily a um a group workshop that I held here at post office projects that kind of really repositioned my understanding and the trajectory of this work. Uh, so that's quite an interesting way of, of researching. I mean, obviously, you know, conversations informing, but yeah, to really be active and, and bring people together to, you know, delve into that subject. That is a fantastic way to really go deep into what it means. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like, um, cause one of the, big kind of things that influences how I research and develop works is looking towards, um, uh, even though I'm not a big fan of the impact of anthropology, but some of the processes that you can look at that they use for understanding people in particular, there's, um, there's a, um, a term that, that exists within the field called, deeply hanging out which is something that I'm going is actually also a title of a um a project that I'll be undertaking with Adhocracy this year which will look at the same kind of processes but it's this idea that rather than just a surface level kind of understanding of people that if you expose yourself deeply to other people's values way of doing things and systems of being that you can understand them from an empathetic lens that you can come to know them better than what a cursory look would give you um, or an assumption on what their life is um, so those kind of processes really drive how I develop the research or how I research and develop the works um, so like as a studio tenant here at pop we're actually encouraged to host kind of different sessions to further the development of our work and practice that's really good to have that encouraged at that level yeah absolutely and like um it's also it's important i guess to have that access to a site and the support that goes with it to be able to do these kind of things mm, that's wonderful 
but um, it was an incredible experience. Um, we started with a mindfulness and kind of yoga session led by Steph Sibich, um, who you've had on here before. Um, it was a delight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but from there, the group considered questions around care, like what does care mean? Where does care come from? Has the nature of care changed or shifted, particularly in recent times? And then listening became an integral tool for myself in this process. I collected the responses and from them, uh, a smaller set of breakaway groups were formed where we looked at how you can actually translate those thoughts and ideas into movement, Mm. which is easier said than done. Yeah, I was hoping you'd just tell me. (laughs) (laughs) How do you translate those ideas? And particularly because, like, I love working with people who haven't got, like, a dance background or uh, a background in choreographed movement because they'll bring to a conversation like that where you're asking them to articulate a thought, an idea into movement. They'll bring to it, like... A slight naivety, but a naivety in the sense that it's unclouded. Yeah, it's not informed by anything other than what they think or feel. Exactly. Yeah. And generally that's positioned within either their lived experience or popular culture. And I think like you you, you, you get these unexpected outcomes. And like at the workshop we had very different kind of responses from all the different groups that were there and whilst it wasn't the intent to take those movements and use them for myself it was much more to gain kind of an insight into how people were thinking about care through the body as well as through how we speak about care um but post-workshop things really started to pick up (laughs) (laughs) that's a big big project oh it is insane it was it's been very ambitious um (laughs) Um, so I started with, um, I reached out to the most incredible writer and poet, Le Algarabi, um, whose current move towards more existentialist writing had just recently at that point blown my mind. Um, and she said yes to coming on board with like a phenomenal way of writing and has worked with me to bring all of that kind of information that was collected uh, on like thoughts on care and all of that kind of stuff into a sophisticated Um, but yet non-didactic text Mm. so that it could be used for the voiceover for the piece Um, and alongside the kind of development so there's a lot of different things that have been happening alongside on top of each other (laughs) all at once so it's been it's been a trick just trying to keep track of everything and make sure that it's all progressing within the time frame that you've you've got but um well i've assumed you've been too busy to even have a conversation with for months so yes it's been big hasn't it (laughs) and i think as well because it's like um it's such um intense time thinking about care and ensuring that you're positioning yourself through empathy it takes an emotional kind of exhaustion on Mm, you as well which by no means like i I, I might say that i'm unhappy with that i think it's just that you've got to acknowledge it though exactly Mm. that like um prolonged states of empathy does slowly wear you down Mm. um but um alongside that kind of development of that dialogue that text for the um the voiceover 
we actually filmed five, six or seven hour shoots across the end of May and the start of June. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Which, as I said, it was quite an ambitious undertaking as there was a lot, a lot to coordinate logistically, <laughs> particularly as I work with a small production team where mm. I operate as a director of sorts. Mm. Um, so for each shoot, we would have the videographer that I work with, Jai McGregor, a production assistant who has always actually been my sister, Ingrid Wolf. Um, she's brought oh, it's a, also lovely. <laughs> I know. And it's, it's this beautiful thing that because she exists in my work and behind the scenes of my work, that uh, it means that she's a good touchstone for asking on like, does this make sense with what I'm trying to achieve? Yeah. Does this make sense with what I've already done? It's nice having that kind of person, someone who's that close to me that I can talk that kind of stuff through with. And she'll give me an honest answer. This <laughs> is a good like that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the brilliant thing as well is that she brings along to each shoot um, her toy poodle oliver oh, <laughs> he's kind of like get any better <laughs> i know but like uh, 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 beside the fact that he is like the most divine little animal ever <laughs> it's really um is really an incredibly valuable tool when you're working with people that might be feeling anxiety might not necessarily know how to kind of feel when they're in front of a camera and mm. stuff like that or even just if you're meeting, because like, as I said, it's a production team. It's a small one. But if you're meeting these people for the first time and you come to that set, that shoot, um, it can be a great way to break down that kind of barrier and start that conversation across people. Because I think like when I first started working with the videographer, um, we actually it's crazy now thinking about it but we actually met the first time when we started shooting wow <laughs> and if it wasn't i think for having like my sister oliver the dog on set it wouldn't have been as easy i don't think because they remove some of the layers of stress that go yeah. with that and make it a bit easier to kind of navigate um but um alongside that kind of production team I also, for this one, have had the um, performers that included uh, the writer Le Algarabi, um, also my good friend Jung Wei Bu, who is an incredible artist in her own right. And a previous episode of the podcast, yes, to my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Then there was also Heidi Kenyon and her two children, uh, Indigo and Iris, um, who Heidi's another incredibly close friend mm. and she's very dear to my heart and another fantastic artist. Yeah. Um, uh, there's also my old friend Jamila who is also an ongoing kind of collaborator so she was in my work last year worked with me on ourselves which was done for bus projects in Melbourne um, and it was actually a really beautiful thing because knowing that this was about care I kind of extended to her the option to invite extended this to everybody that was invited to be part of the work that they could bring into that conversation somebody that they had a kind of relationship of care with or that represented care for them so she invited along a good friend of hers Erica Jeanette and the beautiful thing that happened as a result of Jamila having worked on past projects with me is that instead of myself kind of giving prompts to Erica as like a as a new kind of introduction to my practice Jamila was actually doing that and taking some of the movements you could see that she was intuitively taking some of the movements that she'd learned through the last project and sharing them and ex as an exchange with Erica and I just 
kind of was like, this is cool. This is, this is not only like the kind of progression of like a practice, but it's also a progression of people and their understanding of movement with context to my practice, which is just phenomenal to see. Um, That's incredible. And then the last people, uh, obviously my sister Ingrid is in as well. And my mum, Marianne. Yeah. But, um, it's one of those crazy things that what you see play out in the work, uh, the acts each poem, uh, the acts that each performer undertake, are gestures that come from each person's understanding of themselves, yeah. the spaces that they are in, but also their own ideas of care and the maturity of the relationships that they're sharing. Yeah, that's interesting as well, isn't it? Mm. And I think that comes as a result of that emphasis on intuitive unchoreographed performance that um because i understand gesture as a form of language uh, and when untempered by choreography it allows us to express more of our interior landscape and the work in all of its nuanced complexity at its core asks us to like slow down Mm. and consider how we connect with ourselves with others and the surrounding world and maybe potentially through that reflection we might understand and value togetherness more or at least that's the hope I think in this piece it sounds like you're well on your way to achieving that I think but I think it's it's a slow process when and when you come back to thinking about empathy like it's not a quick game like no you it's something that you have to work at incrementally over time particularly from looking at relationship building as a as a as a feature in my work it's not something that happens overnight there's nothing instantaneous about that on any level is there no No. Um, but I think that you know you have been quite prolific in your making and I think that I know that I can see that overarching endeavor and you know the uh, you do create a space where that can be considered and and maybe I can touch on the um everyone's favorite art buzzword the liminal space uh you know (laughs) it's got to come up um but you know the choices around you know the grading of the films and um these kind of spaces that sometimes are you know almost featureless and but still a space and uh the way that the scope for vulnerability and you know reflection are much more um what is the word that's the space where you can really project that in there and and read into that those um it comes across the breadth of your practice you know it's it's consistent and it that you know it's not just the gestural language and the the movement it, it's all of these other all, the rest of the mise-en-scene if I'm going to be mm. <laughs> lazy and terma that way mm. um all informs that endeavor so I think absolutely. it's absolutely absolutely and like um it's something that like I I'm continually returning to and interrogating like because mm-hmm. a lot of that kind of understanding of how I construct a, a um, an image is based off of all of that understanding of image making that comes from my background um, so it's taken it's taking still a long time to really unpack why it is what I do um, but particularly when we talk about these idea of like liminal spaces or um, the kind of uh, how essentially like it's this constructed world that I'm putting together and that's that kind of tension that I'm understanding my practice as this kind of 
walking the line between like the fantasy, I guess, and that kind of fiction, but using fiction as a tool to really narrow in and drill into the real, I guess. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, that like sometimes we understand real emotions, real kind of things better through fiction because there is that kind of space to highlight mm-hmm. or um, in, in the instance of my work that they are quite minimal kind of mm-hmm. costuming, minimal kind of uh, scenes as such mm-hmm. that then allows such a strong emphasis on the relationship between the figures or the relationship between the figure and the environment that they're in it really kind of emphasizes that moment as a result of that. I absolutely agree. Yeah, it's an interesting tool, isn't it? To, mm. to be a little less real, to drill into the real, but and yet it's it's so simple it, that exactly. it works. It's a great lens. Yeah, mm. excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess um, due to the way that I work in a slightly back-to-front kind of manner where editing takes on a significant role in the articulation of meaning, Mm. filming actually represents only the midway point for me. Yeah. Um, It's when all of the research, development and planning actually comes together into footage ready to use as a material Mm. to be worked towards a final piece. I start the editing process by storyboarding the sequence, um, looking for how meaning can be derived from visual association to begin with, or at least the meaning that I'm trying to kind of evoke or have been building towards. Um, For example, in this one, care. Um, But uh, this process can take a really long time um, and it takes like a lot of back and forth a lot of self-questioning a lot of self-editing but um, (laughs) a healthy uh, part of any practice (laughs) (laughs) but through this I build up the work which generally results in a number of different kind of draft versions Mm. which then I reach out to different people for their input on which um has primarily been conversations with my mentors Hoda Afshar and Eugenia Lim um who have been phenomenal in shaping where my practice is now that I think that they took all the stuff that was kind of there and gave it a real kind of direction and support to actually refine it into what I am and do now Mm -hmm. Uh, can't even begin to (laughs) express the kind of gratitude towards both of them but um slowly with that kind of support and um I guess like the support of the kind of network that I've been working with to create the project because I share kind of content and drafts with the performers as I'm going through. Mm. We slowly build towards a, a final work. Um, so that's really collaborative in a sense. You know, oh, there's that many eyes on <laughs> But worth it, I'm sure. Incredibly worth it because I don't think I would feel comfortable. Like I, I don't think I would feel comfortable putting work out into the world if I didn't know that everybody who was part of making it understood it and were at peace with that as well. Yeah. Cause it just, it would, it would be wrong. Yeah. Only using them for one part of that process. Yeah. And particularly the idea of only using them, I think is, is really difficult because I don't see my practice as using people. No, it's, it's that they have been invited yeah. and that they're coming in to share their story, to be part of a narrative 
on care, on support, on visibility mm. or whatever it is that I'm chasing at any point in time. Mm. Um, but yeah, alongside um, the, actually the incredible thing that I've been able to do with this piece that is, is it's incredible, it's transforming my practice is actually working with a colorist. Yeah, um, wow. It's the first time I've ever had the opportunity to do that, largely because I've had funding to be able to support that. Mm. But um, a colorist is someone who specializes in the color editing of either still or moving image. And I've been very, very lucky to work with the same person who does the coloring for a number of significant Australian artists, including Hoda Afshar and like um, Hayley Miller-Barker. Um, he's over in Melbourne and it's it's just been such a crazy kind of experience um, because he has such an experienced eye and it really has changed how I look at my own work as a result. That's great, yeah. Because yeah. I think, I, like I was showing you some of the footage before, that like just how lush some of the colours become as a result of somebody who just knows their craft so well and like... Yeah, it just, I can't even explain how, like, I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I think also the fact that you have been doing what you do for long enough now that you appreciate that other level that's also about how it doubles down the meaning. You know, you know, we're talking about the leaves looked really lush, but they weren't overpowering the scene and the velvety tones and the softness of skin. And, I mean, hark back to the days also as an early image maker where you just crank the contrast and think that you've done a great job. And look at us now. Everything's oh God, subtle totally. and soft. So I see you. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, 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 that's a vibe. <laughs> But um, um, I think, like, the wonderful thing that because, like, um, even though I do speak a lot about, like, fashion and image making as a strong kind of point of reference for me, that, um, like, I have a, I've been engaged with art in a formal kind of level on the 2D kind of surface for a very long time as well. Um, like, that was a really strong part of my youth um, going and, like, my parents were really supportive early of that kind of, uh, passion for making and art and stuff like that and they sent both my sister and I to art classes I think when we were like eight <laughs> we were doing like watercolor classes it was everything but I think like um and I've spoken like to different people about this that I, I understand color in the work that I do from a kind of painter's perspective mm. I don't see my works as paintings but it's that kind of formal training that informs how I use color in my work mm. Um, particularly in how you can create depth or different kind of meaning through colour. Yeah. Um, I find it a very fascinating thing. I love <laughs> that you're drawing on all of these different things. I know. They're it's just... like some weird kind of mixing pot crucible of all the things. <laughs> all the things. All the things. But, <laughs> but it, it works and it's lovely that you can see, yeah, I got, this is informed by this thing and this is informed by that. And, you know, I don't think you're missing anything at the moment. I think you're doing all right. And, you know, finding ways to, you know, working with the colorist for the first time, you know, filling in anything that could build that practice is, it's great to see. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Mm, and like, I think because we don't, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think we talk enough about those kind of options of like taking your work to a colorist here in South Australia like we don't talk about that as an option for like how you can elevate your work or how you can explore a different trajectory with your practice I think that there's uh, 
it, it's it, it's like you can't do it all <laughs> like especially like with projects like this where there are so many facets that you need support from people who have specialized in their fields to make to make sure that the product that you're producing at the end of it represents what you what you're aspiring towards mm. um, yeah I don't think if you tried to do it on your own some of those works just wouldn't have looked anything like I mean half the time there are somewhere you are in front of the camera so really <laughs> you would have been hard-pressed to do that yourself so Absolutely. yeah I'm glad that you know that's something that you figured out quite early on mm. and the work is all the better for it. Absolutely. And I think that was a big thing that um, Hoda and Eugenia as mentors really kind of instilled in me is this understanding of that, that you should invest in people, invest in people so that they can support you to kind of make the projects come to the fruition and come to the realisation that does the best justice to yourself, to your own practice and to the people that you're trying to create with. Um but also, like, I haven't even finished talking about the goddamn layers of this project still. Like, there's also the bloody audio that we're still doing, like, that we're doing for the work, like, um, alongside editing visuals and stuff yeah. like that. Um, it's everything. I know, it's everything. There's multi, like, I'm obsessed with video work and moving image, but God, there is, it's, it's a beast. <laughs> You'd think it would be easier than, like, photography, but, like, no. <laughs> and it's expensive. <laughs> but um, with the audio for this one, for Care, I am um, I actually really enjoy constructing soundscapes myself. Um, it's one of those kind of things that, um, particularly when it means that I get to play around with sounds from either the sites that we've been filming at or... Um, capturing sounds from the places where the work might actually end up being shown right and those kind of come together i i'm not i'm certainly not a, a whiz at kind of putting together sound pieces but um i do like putting together white noise kind of tracks and stuff mm. like that and particularly for care there's this kind of meditative background soundscape that i've built that um I feel compliments both the visuals and the um, voiceover that's gonna that's with it but um not in a way that's overpowering of either as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, for the voiceover as well, I've actually worked with Jesse Boodle to record my own voice, which um, the choice to use my own voice was actually a really tricky thing to come to. Um, Have you done that before? I've only used parts of my voice. Okay. That makes that sounds odd um, <laughs> in the sense of that, like, uh, so for ourselves, um uh, with Jamila and Jasmine Crisp, um, we so the starting point of that was to actually do interviews with each of them around the idea of vulnerability, and those interviews kind of informed the whole process of the development of the work. Um, but then also I used them as like segments of them as the final voiceover and like soundscape for the final work yeah so my voice was in that set as well but with like it was just some sections but this time it's it's me talking my whole way through the work which much more intentional yeah absolutely um but as I said it was a tricky decision to come to because um I think that there's a lot of different narratives that are involved in the work but um what I came to in the end was this understanding that with my previous work, Sibling and Kin, 
which both have family members in them and heavily kind of influenced care. I understand care as a work as representing the culmination of these into a trilogy where I am the narrator in those works, whether literally or just because they are works built from my perspective, um, particularly looking at how those relationships impact my identity and how they kind of inform how I've grown through my life and stuff, um, particularly when it comes to the fact that sibling was with Ingrid, um, looking at particularly how siblings can support one another and it's a bit literal at points it was the, literal yeah but yeah. like I think that that was important to have in that work because I don't know how else you would have articulated that but mm, um not with that same weight that it came across yeah yeah um but and then Kin had my dad become involved which was a very it was a it was a difficult work to put together because um like we don't have the best relationship. It's a very tumultuous one. <laughs> but um, he was still like totally into and supportive of being involved with my practice and how we communicate that kind of relationship. Um, so it's really incredible to have that opportunity to do that and a willingness. I won't lie, I am a bit tired. <laughs> but, <laughs> I think you're allowed to be. <laughs> but I am very proud of what, I've, what we've created. Um, not only does it represent things that I value deeply, but it's also realised in a very visually poignant manner. Um, but most importantly, I, I think it's it's meant the opportunity to work and create with some of the most incredible people and, and actually pay them as well, mm. which is something that I try to do the whole way through my practice. Um, but there's been around 20 different people involved with this project, like directly involved. That doesn't count the kind of numerous people that you talk to when you're developing or, or, or getting approval for filming on a site or something like that. And then, like, for example, when we were at the Hampstead Rehabilitation Centre, the, the staff there were so encouraging and supportive of what we were doing and they would come across and ask us what was happening, tell us different stories about the place. Isn't that, it like, so interesting, all those little other peripheral stories that know, come in and, that, and, like, and care and consideration from those on the sidelines? Absolutely, and particularly because this whole piece was filmed outdoors, that you're always quiet. I guess vulnerable in the sense, not in a kind of like only in the sense that you, that anybody can come and join in on what you're doing and talk to you and engage with you. And you've got to be prepared with that kind of vulnerability to the world, which I think is important in how my practice kind of talks about vulnerability is using that as a tool mm. for our understanding of how that body exists within these kind of semi-public, semi-private spaces. Um, but with um, the brilliant thing of working with like that 20 different kind of people um, has also meant that with that support of the funding that I've actually been able to inject I think around $16,000 back into the creative ecology mm, which 
like is insane for a sole trader i think and <laughs> same for an artist and i don't know when it, if it'll happen again anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> but like i think it just is as much about care as what you actually see in the work is being able to support people not only through empathy as i've spoken about throughout the like the conversation but like also actually being able to follow that back up with here's some money that I appreciate what you've done for me and how you've kind of engaged with this. Brilliant. Through and through. <laughs> <laughs> no mm. one could see the finger guns. You just did. <laughs> I know. It's a good thing. <laughs> the beauty of a podcast. All right, Henry, you're being very uh, vulnerable in letting me throw you some questions you haven't prepared for. Yeah. What's been your favorite moment of someone else experiencing your work? Oh. If there is one. Um, I think that the, the, the one that probably, it's happened a couple of times, but the one that hits home the most is when somebody tells you that they've nearly started crying or they have cried at your work. Um, and, like, I remember... I won't say any names or anything like that, but like I remember somebody reaching out to me through social media to say that when I, I did sibling and released that um, the first time around, that like they said, I don't, I don't even have a sibling, but I started crying when I watched that work, which is that I think is is it, like it's it, something that cannot you can't anticipate at all, um, and I think that's the un- other wonderful thing about how people engage with your work, particularly when you put so much kind of of yourself into them that like um, you've got to be ready for so many different kind of perspectives. Like the weirdest, the wackiest one that I've had, it was a, a dude came up to me in the middle of the gallery when, it, um, and it was actually again in response to sibling, but he was like, oh my God. I thought you were going to get crucified. And I was like, in what world? Where where are you coming from? But, like, I think it's this beautiful thing as well that, like, we all carry so much. We're such meaning-making machines that, like, we we really carry, like, so much to a work. And, like, especially, I think, with my practice where it does leave so much space for interpretation that... The mind can obviously wander. Yeah, a lot of takes, a lot of different takes. <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, I almost feel like I should uh, wrap this up so I can let you get back into it because that's a full plate. Um, but I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing the work as part of Sala and uh, I hope that everyone gets to check it out. It'll be online, so there's no reason not to. I love it. Well, thank you, Henry. It's been a delight. Thank you, Steph. It's always good to chat with you. <laughs>